All right. Good evening. Okay. Couple of quick things. that I want to get um, kind of out of the way. Let me make sure this is... So, yes, Colorado Supreme Court said Trump cannot be on the ballot. But... um, Don't let it stress you. This just continues to display how corrupt our Colorado Supreme Court is. In fact, I'm surprised it was 4-3. Our our Colorado Supreme Court is so corrupt, so broken and corrupt. In fact, um, so at the beginning of session, as a representative, you have all the Senate comes over to your side of the building and, um, and that's, a, that's a kind of a big deal that they're not allowed to unless they're invited. Uh, we can't go to their chamber either unless we're invited. But they came over and uh, we had to, for twice, they did this, once for um, Governor Polis to speak and then once for the, um, the uh, um, Chief Justice to speak from the Supreme Court in Colorado. And basically he spent, he spoke about an hour plus and he spent probably 45 minutes of that explaining why they were not corrupt. Yes, they had they had been. Um, yes, they had had lawsuits against them for all kinds of things, multiple uh, multiple sexual harassment issues, all kinds of stuff. And he spent 45 minutes explaining why they were not corrupt because this is what he said. You can go back; it's in on it's on video. And uh, he said the reason that they are not corrupt is because they did an internal investigation and they found that they were not corrupt. That's what he, I mean, that's, that's what he spent 45 minutes of his hour speech doing, talking about. Hmm? Yeah, so, so, um, so guys, really, we should just take them at their word. They really are, they're, they're really good people, just in a difficult place. And, um, and that's why they vote Trump can't be on the ballot. Don't worry about that. It's going to go to the Supreme Court, and it's going to be kicked so far out. It's, it's been, um, it's already been in three different states already that has established you can't do this. Uh, that, that precedence is going to be used, and it's going to go to the Supreme Court. Now, there's always weird things that happen, but I, I don't imagine this is going to stand this is just, th- this is the same thing that the, the Democrat representatives told us. Um, they told us this during session, by the way, was um, we, because we, we kept arguing, me and two or three other people kept arguing that what they were doing is not constitutional in certain laws, bills, things like that. It's not constitutional, not constitutional. It's not legal. It's already been, some of the Second Amendment things were already addressed by the Supreme Court. And, and then they bring up a law, bring up a bill. It's already been addressed. And so we would, we would say something about that and mention to them that this is not okay, it's not constitutional, it's not legal. And they said they would come to the well and say this, probably a handful of times, is we're going to keep 
uh, pushing all the bills. It's your responsibility to legally address them. Talking to the Republicans. It's your responsibility to make sure they're legal. We're just going to do all kinds of dumb, stupid things. You have to be the watchdog on that. Daniel. So I read this quick headline article that said the Republican Party, if it goes the way of the dodo, this whole situation with Trump, then you guys proposed a caucusing. Do you know anything, do you know anything about that? Like he'll be on the ballot by way of caucus. Yeah. So, so this is uh, so this is interesting because because we are a caucus state, but some of the people that are saying let's handle this in caucus, which is a legitimate way to do that. You can get you can put him on the you can put him on the primary ballot without the Democrats' permission or the Supreme Court's permission. Um, he will be left off of the official ballot later, but we can put him on the primary, which means they have to put him on there because we decided it, not because they decided not to, okay? But here's the interesting thing. You got a lot of push in the Republican Party, probably close to 35, 40, 45%, somewhere in that range of Republicans right now. They're trying to get rid of the caucus because they can't stand the fact that they can't win in the caucus. They can only win when they pay for votes. Um, it's a long process to explain, but so now some of those people are crying foul and saying, well, we're gonna, we'll put Trump on the ballot in the caucus. Well, I thought you didn't like the caucus. Um, we are a caucus state. We're a quasi-caucus state. We should be a pure caucus state, but we're not because you can petition on the ballot, which means we're not legitimately a caucus state. Um, and so, yeah, the whole thing is a little convoluted. But um, you can also write Trump in. He doesn't have to be on the ballot. You can write him in. Um, What, what are you guys saying? I hear words. Oh, they're not going to count the write-ins. Was that part of the Supreme Court thing? I didn't. Oh, that's the law. The law. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so... I mean, this is just stupid. Don't let it bother you. Um, the Supreme Court, the SCOTUS, will make sure this is all okay. The same thing with all the gun bills that popped up, and everybody was stressing and all this kind of stuff. And yes, there were bad bills, and there is always the chance that they get through. But the, the, the Second Amendment issues had already been established at the Supreme Court the last five years, like four or five different uh, laws. And so th there's only so much they can do when we just go, uh, Supreme Court, Second Amendment, shut up. Um, and that's basically what we're saying right now is just just shut up. You can do whatever you want, Mr. Corrupt Justice and, and Supreme Court of Colorado. There is something called the law, and we'll get around to that because you're not doing it. Since you want to break the law, we'll get around to making sure the law is officially uh, acknowledged. Yes, sir. Uh, just real quick. I don't want to take too much time. With this Wolves thing, we read the article, and... Um, it said there's another wildlife bill coming down the ballot in 24. Do you know anything about that? No. Okay. The wolf one was stupid enough. Um, and here's the thing. You had a lot of Republicans voting yes on that wolf one. The wolf, the w okay, one person in my household voted on the ballot accidentally because she felt sorry for wolves before she read it. 
But But, um, you know, when, when, the wolf, when the wolf bill came through, we tried to put amendments in there. A lot of the farmers, we've got some um, uh, Republicans that are farmers, and, and uh, they were saying, look, these, these wolves are destroying our livestock. They're killing them. And, and a wolf will kill even if he doesn't want to eat it. Um, he'll, he'll just kill an animal. And um, he, she, and uh, they. Wolves, wolves, <laughs> wolves, I'll use pronouns. Not humans. They, them, her, his. Uh, they'll, they'll kill livestock. And so we, put, we tried to put amendments on there that said, if they're in the process of killing a cow, you can shoot it. And they said, oh, no, no, no. No, those wolves are more important than livestock. They're more important than somebody's property. Uh, the wolves are. So, Linda? Yeah, going back to the Colorado Supreme Court. So the things that you say don't get upset, but what's so upsetting is number one. I just said don't get upset. I know, but these guys are violating the Constitution. So yep. how can we hold them accountable for this <coughs> violation? And number two, they're cre yeah, we have to go and fight it. And that's just lawfare. And it just ties us up, ties resources, funding. So those are two big issues that I have with their decision. So I have lots of emails about this. <clears throat> All of a sudden, everybody wanted to make sure they, that I knew what they thought about this, which I agree with everyone. I, just, I, I was just copying, pasting, I agree, go team, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I, did, I did recommend that um, people write letters to the, uh, the Supreme Court, Chief Justice Supreme Court, and to the, write the same letter to Governor Polis and then write the same letter to the, um, to the um, Secretary of State and then write the same letter to the attorney, Colorado Attorney General. All four of those people write the same letter. And just inundate those four people with the exact same letter, exact same letter and over and over. Because why? Eventually, hopefully, somebody's going to say, wait a second, if nothing else. You know, this, this is actually straight out of the New Testament when Jesus says, when the unrighteous judge will even change something he's doing because you're harassing him. So harass him. These people are breaking the law. They are breaking the law. They are going against the Constitution. Now, here's the thing is because it's Supreme Court, there's not a lot we can do about it unless there is a major legal thing. And, and guys, just quite honestly, suing the Supreme Court is not something that happens really. I don't really know how you do that. The, you know the real way to do this? You vote in conservative judges. We've been dealing with this at the national level forever. My, uh, Mark? About every two years, like, you know, Yeah. So, so you can vote them out. You can vote them out. This is, you know, how I handle this. Leave it blank. That's the problem. This, this is how I handle this because we have a Democrat governor, and he's not like a middle of the road. He's a, he's a hard, hard left. He likes to portray himself as middle of the road, 
but he's hard left. So this is what I do with judges. I vote no on all of them. You, you, may, you may get a couple that maybe you should vote a maybe, but if you vote no on all of them, when you have a, a Democrat governor, he's appointing the bad guys. He's not appointing the good guys. So vote no on all of them. But I still think you have to single out um, judges, and you have to do something about it. Maybe write an op-ed, do something that, that singles these judges out, that the, specifically the four that voted unconstitutionally. Here's the thing. They really do have a lot of power. They have a lot of power, and there's not much we can do about that except to vote them out. Uh, you can find that information, though. They don't have to put their names. We, we, we'll know the four and the three. Yes, sir. Writing letters uh, does make an impact because when we, our business was shut down the second time, our daughter, who's an attorney, wrote a letter for us, an open letter to the governor. So we had all of our customers sign it. We mailed them, mailed them, mailed them. And within a week, uh, he opened it up yeah. allowed us to reopen. It does. It, it does make differences. It's, it's not really common, and specifically when it's their pet issues. Um, they're not going to do it, but specifically if you add Polis into the mix of these, remember Polis wants to be president, and he's going to be working very hard this next year and the next, the next two years after that, the next cycle. But this next year, he's going to be working really hard at making sure that he looks moderate. He's already started that, but he's, he's going to try to look moderate. And so on these kind of things, um, he has, to, he has to, to start pulling toward the middle visually. And so you just never know. But, um, but it is. It's unconstitutional. It's against the law. It's not just unconstitutional. It's against Supreme Court law, law that's been established by, or uh, ratified by the Supreme Court. And so, yeah. All right. Anything else before we talk about something else? All right. But, but Linda, just don't, don't be upset. Just calm down. <laughs> oh, this stuff, I, you know, I'm, I'm saying that. I'm saying that, but this stuff just disgusts me. It's absolutely disgusting when they know this is, they know this is not uh, legal. They know it. And they're going to thumb their nose at everybody and say, no, we have ultimate power. We're going to do this. Vote them out. Vote them out. All right. So let's look at some uh, Christmas stuff. Uh, what are some of the things uh, about the story of Christmas? We're going to read some of this. But what are some of the stuff about the story of Christmas that are prophesied in the Old Testament? What? Virgin. virgin. The virgin. The virgin birth. Immaculate conception, right? You know, I always, always process this a little bit, and, and every now and then in, through the years I'll put this in a message or something. But it's just amazing to me how that whole thing went down. Not the immaculate conception. That's supernatural. It's a miracle. Um, I, I, I take that at face value. I understand it. You know, it's, that's not a difficult thing for God, right? Um, and I've seen how people just struggle with this. They struggle with the virgin birth. And I'm talking like even evangelical pastors and things that say, guys, we don't have to prove, we don't have to take such a strong stand on the virgin birth. It's not that big of a deal. So, so why is the virgin birth such a big deal? 
Okay. Yes, that is, that is the answer is Jesus came from a woman. He was a, a person, a human, right? But his, the seed for him did not come from a man. Now, this is pretty interesting when you look through Scripture and you look at how um, the, the bloodline works and how the seed works and all this other stuff. The, the scriptural context of us being born into sin comes from human seed that has been part of sin. Okay? So, in a literal sense, scripturally, and ladies, this isn't like a, you get, this isn't like a get out of jail free kind of thing, but the sin is not passed from the mother to the child. According to scripture, it's passed through the seed, which is the man. So, so, he, Jesus is part human. Why? Because he's still born from a human, but the seed of sin is not uh, transferred to Jesus. Now, at any point along the way, Jesus could have sinned and messed this whole thing up, right? And I always try to bring this out to make sure we're on the same page with this. And I'm not saying the same page with me, but the same page with Scripture, when, it, when the scripture says Jesus was tempted in all things, he was tempted. Somehow, that's, people struggle with that. Well, Jesus can't be tempted. He's God. But he's still human, too. He's still 100% human. And that 100% human can be tempted just like you. And scripture even says that he was tempted in all things like you. So, he was tempted. He was tempted in every way you can imagine. He was tempted just like we're tempted. Okay? The difference is, is he didn't give in to it. He didn't, he didn't say yes to sin. That's, that's the, the, the point, the focus of, the, um, of the, uh, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Okay? The Holy Spirit led him out there. The Holy Spirit didn't tempt him, but he led him out there, which means he was walking with him. In fact, I believe that's the point. That's Luke chapter 4, I think it is. I think that's the point where it's kind of solidifying that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, just like us. As a human, he needed to be empowered by the Holy, by the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered. Why? Because we're going to be tempted. And the way that you resist temptation is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which raised Jesus from the dead, will quicken or strengthen your mortalness, your mortal body. It will strengthen you. That gives you the ability to say no to sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is empowering your limitedness of your physicality, uh, whether it's your thoughts or attitude or physical body or whatever the case is. Um, Aiden? I have a question for you. Uh, one more thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Uh, in Genesis uh, 3, um, I'm trying to remember that. In 14, it says, uh, So the Lord said to the serpent, He's talking to Satan, because you have done this. First are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put an enmity between you and the woman. And because your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Is that about, is that about Jesus? And how does that reconcile to what you're talking about if it does at all? Well, yeah, it is Jesus. Um, what do you mean how does it reconcile? Talk about the Virgin Mary, the Virgin Mary. There, does that have anything to do with that scripture? 
Yes, that is that is that scripture. Um, it says that Jesus, that um, her offspring, which is, we're talking about Mary, Mary's offspring, or humanity's offspring in the biblical sense. Uh, Satan will be crushed by Jesus. That is a prophecy about Jesus, that, that Jesus will crush Satan. He will crush his head. Um, now, it does, you know, it, it, uh, I think it also says uh, he will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head, right? Well, Satan does bruise Jesus' heel. Not, not the physical heel, but it's a way of saying Satan will, Satan will get a couple licks in, but Jesus is going to destroy him. Jesus does go to the cross, and it looks like Satan has won. It looks like, yeah, he bit Jesus in the heel. It looks like that, that uh, Jesus is going to die from that, but he doesn't. I mean, he dies, but he raises from the dead. And that's the crushing of Satan under his heel. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's the, that's the um, that's that's what that's what we call the the Christology. That's it's all through the Old Testament. This is why when I have discussions with um, uh, Jewish people that are you know not Messianic Jewish but Jew, following Judaism, and they say there's no scriptures that have to do with Jesus. The Old Testament has packed with there's no reason for the old testament if jesus is not coming yes that is the that is the first uh mention in fact if, if, if you i know you've heard me say this but i believe just a few verses before that when they were hiding in the garden and um and god comes looking for him and says where are you i believe that is the first missional statement in the bible missional statement in the bible is when god after they've sinned god says where are you he is looking for them he's He's, and he, knew, he knows where they are, so it's not like he doesn't know, but it, that's the missional statement is when he says, where are you? That's the beginning. That is the, you, Genesis 1 and 2 are setting everything up. Genesis 3 starts the story, and the story is uh, the redemption plan of God in Jesus Christ. That is the beginning of the story. The first two chapters are just I mean, so much is squeezed in. All of creation is squeezed in and then sin. And then the reason for all this, and then boom, Genesis 3 starts the actual story. And that's, and that's the consistent story to the end of Revelation. It doesn't change. Kara, did you have your hand raised? Did you forget? You're done? You're worn out? Well, don't say it unless you're going to say it in the microphone. I was just saying that I was going to say stuff along with what you guys were saying. I do have in here, it says, Peace, Scott. Um, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring slash descendants and her offspring slash descendant, Jesus. Yes. Peace, Scott. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's the right way to translate that. Descendants and descendant. Okay. All right. What other, what other scriptures do we have about the Christmas story in the Old Testament? Um, yeah, that, I would put that later as part of the cross crucifixion. Yeah, it is true, though. I mean, in fact, let's go to, um, let's go to uh, Isaiah 9. 
And I think it's kind of out of order what I was going to do, but whatever. Um, Isaiah 9, we see uh, in verse 6, he says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. That, you know, that sentence, I said that sentence three or four times in the, um, in the well in the house this last session. But, but this really is, if that, if that sentence wasn't there, there's no way I would be involved in any kind of government leadership or politics or anything. I wouldn't. Because basically, and some people really still believe this, but I don't, but they believe that... Um, uh, all, all government is broken and corrupt and Christians shouldn't be involved because it's all corrupt. Well, well part of the argument for it all being corrupt is Christians have not been involved. It's, it's a little bit of, you know, back it up. Before you start making an accusation, figure out where it came from. Figure out why. Uh, most of government is corrupt. There's no doubt about that. Um, our, our federal government is so corrupt. It is so corrupt. And and I think back at different times, and I don't know for sure when this changed or what changed or what. It, I mean, has our government always been corrupt? I don't believe so. Um, is it corrupt now? Yes. Was it corrupt during the JFK time? Yes. Um, you know, a lot of people defend JFK and all this, but JFK was he, was, he was sleeping around with all kinds of people, including Marilyn Monroe. In fact... A lot of people believe him and his brother had Marilyn Monroe killed because of this stuff. Um, I'm one of those people. <laughs> but they were corrupt. How far do we go back? You know, people say, yeah, you got Nixon was corrupt. You realize Nixon was like one of the least corrupt presidents we've ever had. That whole Watergate thing was a big joke. The reason Watergate happened is because the Democrats owned the media, they owned the government, they owned everything, and they, they set up uh, Nixon, and he was not what they said, he did a stupid thing, but it's nothing compared to today. Nothing. And, and you know, he lost the presidency over this. And, and we've got, I mean, just go through the presidents over time. There's only a few that I think are, are, will stand the test of time when it comes to uh, what they actually accomplished, how good they were, uh, what they... Uh, their moral code, those kind of things. There's only, there's only a few over the years. I'm saying over the decades and decades and decades that I think fit these qualifications. Our government's corrupt. What, what, what do we do about that? I, I still believe that the number one thing that we should do is that, well, we should pray. After praying, I think the church should get involved. Get involved. You can't point into it and say, oh, it's all bad and it's all bad and it's... I, that gets old after a while. Do something about it. Don't speak. Do something. But, but this is a major thing for me as to why I, I, I did let my name stand. I did get elected, and I'm doing it again because the government rests upon the Lord's shoulders. The government does not rest upon uh, Biden's shoulders or the FBI or the Department of Justice or the House, or the Senate. It doesn't rest upon uh, Governor Polis's shoulders. It doesn't rest upon our House, our Senate. It just doesn't. Now, in the short term, when you're going day after day up there, man, that is hard to keep in your mind straight. 
because they do win a lot of battles. Well, they win most of them right now. But they're really not winning the war. They're not. And, and here's, the, here's a couple of reasons that I know this, okay? Um, this is how I know. I, I didn't know this until I went back to special session, but um, I had apparently been reprimanded at the end of session, last session, by the Speaker of the House. She put it in a letter form and sent it to our minority leader. He forgot to send it to me. And, uh, I mean, this is a major reprimand, and it just, it just scoriates me. But... Um, uh, that's how I know we're actually winning. Right? Okay? Um, if I were to get up in the well and speak about unicorns, I would not receive attack letters from the Speaker of the House. Well, yeah, in a sane world. But do you understand what I'm saying? The reason that I get attacked so much is because, um, because I'm accomplishing something. Guys, the reason that Satan tries to attack you is because you do stuff. You're doing things. I've been saying this for years and years, and most Christians don't process this until they're in the middle of something. But if you're never being attacked by Satan, it's because you are no threat to him whatsoever. You're not doing anything. Nobody's getting saved. You're not praying for people. Nobody's lives being changed because you're not reading the Bible with people. You're not doing things. The reason that Satan attacks people is because he becomes a threat to them. The, the, the last thing Satan wants to do is stir the fire and make you run to the Lord. So, And this is what he does the, the most in America is he keeps everybody disinterested, dissatisfied, lazy, self-focused, narcissistic, because the moment we step back and say, wait a second, maybe there's more to life than me. Maybe there is a God. Maybe if there is a God, I'm supposed to serve him. You know, the video, I've played two or three versions of, or two or three uh, pieces of it um, with Jordan Peterson saying this, if there really is a God, then shouldn't my life look like it? And he's pointing to the church when he's saying that and saying, that he's just now starting to realize that there is a God, that Jesus is real, but he's not been seeing this from the church. If Jesus is everything that he says he is, which he is, shouldn't our lives look a little different? Shouldn't our lives be about him? Shouldn't our lives be, be passionate about him? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we want somebody? Shouldn't he come up in conversation sometimes? This is one of the things that I've noticed for years is you can usually find out what somebody's passionate about within the first five to ten minutes of knowing them if you just listen to them. They'll tell you what they're passionate about. Or if you bring something up that, um, that they get excited about, all of a sudden they're on a, they're on a tear, right? They're talking. I, there's a, I found a guy that does his wonderful Christ, Christmas music. He has like four Christmas albums. But I didn't know who he is, and I'm sure many of you know who he is, but his name is uh, Brett Eldridge, and he's apparently a country singer. Is it Brett? I think Brett, I think so. But um, so then I was playing, I was looping that stuff, and it stopped playing the Christmas stuff and started playing his country music. And um, I was working on my Jeep, so I couldn't go over there and, and stop it, But because uh, I don't prefer country music. But 
he, he has this song that kind of got me. He said, you know, people talk about this, politics and things, and I don't care, and people talk about this. and whatever. But when, they, when, you, when the subject of you, talking about the woman in his life, when the subject of you comes up, I can't shut up, and I talk about you. And I say all kinds of things about you, and I can't shut up. And I think, you know, shouldn't it be like that about Jesus? If we, if we really love Jesus, I don't mean just that we go to church and stuff. But if we really love Jesus, shouldn't he come up in conversation? Shouldn't that be something? And, and not like, not like the, the political mentality of Jesus, right? I think we do this too much in the political world. Is Jesus becomes our political leader. He is my political leader. But not because he is a political leader, but because he's, oh, the God of the universe, right? And politics is included. But, but I, there's a whole lot more to talk about Jesus than um, a Supreme Court decision. You understand what I'm saying? So when we're talking about Jesus, doesn't, doesn't his grace and his love and things like his virgin birth and stuff like that, shouldn't that come up, his sinless life? The Beatitudes, anything like that, shouldn't that stuff be coming up, right? So, you guys got all off topic. So, here we go. The government will rest on his shoulders. All governments, everywhere, will rest on his shoulders. Um, the government of Iran rests on Jesus' shoulders. They think they're in complete control. They think they can do whatever they want, that they can, that, you know, try to annihilate the world, um, but the government rests on Jesus' shoulders, and he, he does um, let things go, but it's because he has a reason. We don't always understand it, but government still rests on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. This is where sometimes people get confused. Well, if Jesus came to bring peace, why are there wars? Why is all this other stuff? Well, Jesus' government will always have peace, and it's never going to end. His government. But we, we started pushing against the Lord's government a long time ago. That's where we got King Saul, was we pushed against God's government. And, and sometimes people get confused about this, but because um, you say, well, it's, you know, so, so we take the scriptures that say things that, you know, all government rests upon his shoulders, and God is the one who puts all people, all leadership into power and those kind of things. And we say that means it's God's will that um, Biden be president. Those are two different subjects. One is, does God, is God over all governments and all presidents and everything? Yes. Does God allow the people to beg him and come up with a leader that, that God does not want them to have? Yes. That's where King Saul came. God kept saying, you don't need King Saul. And they said, we do. And he said, and he told the prophet, tell them that they're gonna, he's going to do all these things. And they said, it's okay. Our neighbors have kings. We want a king. And God said, okay, you got a king. Was that God's will? No. God said it wasn't his will. He said he didn't want them to have a king, but he gave them the king that they begged for. And, and by the way, God still does this today. You beg God enough or something, and he will give it to you. That, that's kind of scary, Pat. 
You know, I've been thinking about uh, Biden as president and reading the Old Testament and reading um, the many times, I mean, I can't even count them, where uh, the children of Israel sinned and God turned them over to be in bondage. Mm -hmm. And uh, they wanted a king, like you mentioned. So he gave them Saul. Look what happened there. Uh, I wonder if America, because we're so rich and life is so good, and if you're somebody like Biden, you stole as much money as he has, he can buy anything in the world that he wants. He wants to make this life last as long as possible yeah. and be in control as long as possible. So I wonder if that's why we got Biden. I really do. It's because America's going the wrong direction. I, 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 I can guarantee you that's why we got Biden. This is not God's plan. This is not what God wants. Um, here's, a, here's a simple thing. Yes, God does allow these things to happen, and God's still in control. But it's not God's will for somebody that murders his babies to, to be president. doesn't matter who it is. Okay, they can call themselves a Christian because I, you know, I don't know what the future holds. But just because somebody calls themselves a Christian, if they believe in murdering babies, God's, God's not wanting them to be a leader for, of our country. But when we beg for that so much, he gives us what we beg for. Or another way to say it is he allows it to happen. Because we beg and beg and beg. We want, I, I heard so many people talking about Biden before the election saying, well, he said he'll forgive my student loans. That's enough for me. So first, he was lying about that. And even now that he's tried to do some of that, it's still a big scam. But, but here's the thing with that. So you're going to vote in a president just because of that? What about all the other stuff? That's not, that's not even in the top 20 of importance on the world scene and on our national scene. But when you have a bunch of selfish, narcissistic people that are saying, I just, I, you know, if he'll, if he'll do away my student loans, well, then I'll be richer. Yeah, but he's also bringing so much um, economic oppression I've read three different articles in this last week talking about where we're going financially in 2024. That this could be literally at the level of the Great Depression. One article said we will eclipse the Great Depression. But you got your student loan paid off. Or actually, you thought you were and you got lied to, but, but it's okay. The whole country's going to collapse, but but you've got your student loan paid off. You can't afford a house. You can't afford a car. You can't keep a job now. because. Of, but you got your student loan paid off. So that's okay. It's good. Pastor? This is, this is the stupidity that we live in right now. So I will say I had a student loan from an online co uh, college I did. It was about twenty-eight grand, And it was through a college that got caught doing fraudulent activity. So I had been appealing my um, student loan for five years because they kept telling me I was eligible to have it forgiven. Finally gave up on it because they kept turning it down. And then it got, a, you know, my appeal went through and it was all forgiven because the college didn't exist anymore. My degree was useless. So I had that all wiped clean. But my point, I, I don't think Biden had anything to do with it. But my point being is I still can't afford a house. I still can't afford to go buy new cars. I'm no better off than I was with the debt. 
So just kind of backing up what you're saying. Did you vote for Biden? I mean, you know. Um, nope. Accident. <laughs> yeah. Accidentally, but it's because I didn't want to change my ballot back, and it got messed up, and I... Let me get back to my notes here. All right. This is not right. Because I'm in the wrong book. All right. <clears throat> Let's go to, I'm going to go to Proverb, I mean Psalms. Chapter 22, verse 28. All right. Um, this is uh, part of that same government rests on his shoulders. For royal power, royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. That doesn't look like it, right? Doesn't look like it most of the time. You know, if he's ruling the nations, why is the stuff happening around the world that's happening? That's one thing. We are looking at it through human eyes. I, I, I really would, you know, if you, I think if you could just see one time what God sees and how all this stuff is working the spirituality of it all, I think it would be very, I think it'd be very sobering. Um, kind of like, oh, I get it, that kind of thing. Um, but it, yeah, yeah. Um, so let me go to uh, where I was before you guys started changing the subject. Um, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Now think about all the little pieces of this prophecy. Talking to Bethlehem, small village, yet a ruler of Israel, but not just, a, not just arbitrarily a ruler of Israel, but whose origins are in the distant past. H how far back does um, the, the origins of this ruler go? Well, before this earth, we know that much. I mean, you, you realize how the way Mike is saying this, but he's, he's saying it prophetically, but you can tell, I mean, this is much bigger than what he's saying. This ruler whose origins are in the distant past, before the creation of the earth is pretty distant, will come from you on my behalf. I, I love this kind of stuff. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Who's the woman in labor? Mary. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. This, the, the whole thing is really prophetic here. But, but this, is, this is specifically saying that Jesus is going to come from Bethlehem. Now, here's, let, me, let me get another one because I, I think this is pretty cool. Uh, let's go to Hosea. Chapter 11, um, uh, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. Now, those are two different things. 
Israel, but I called my son out of Egypt. Now, this is, this is pretty cool because this, this, scripture, these are the things that Scripture is saying, and we've got to somehow figure out how Jesus is going to do this. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, but he's going to come out of Egypt. Well, how do you do that? How did Jesus do it? They fled to Egypt. Remember after when, when the, when the uh, wise men, how many wise men were there? Some. Some. I have to pick on this every year. The Bible never says three. Where do we get three from? It's tradition, but where do we get the three from? The gifts. The gifts. Frankenstein. Um, myrrh. Gold. Right? Um, and so we go, oh, there were three. Guys, if you read the scripture, it's a whole very large entourage that's coming from the east. A very large group of people. <coughs> And it talks about when they go before the king. Yes, ma'am. I was just reading further along on Hosea 11. So it, from 1 through, I don't know, let's see. So when Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. And then, you know, it kind of goes along or more along with that. So is it like the part where it says, and I called my son out of Egypt, it's just like a small port, like it doesn't go, it just doesn't seem like it goes with the rest of the, um, th th the so, verses. So those are two different things. The Israel part is what's carrying down through. That Israel's who's being um, rebellious through this whole thing. So you have God being patient with Israel all the way down through this thing. But the son that he calls out of Egypt, that's, he doesn't, he's not talking about the son through the rest of this. He's talking about his son who comes from Israel be called out of Egypt. But then uh, Israel, is being, um, Israel is being rebellious. Does that make sense? Yes. No, yeah, I kind of thought that, but just wanted some clarification on it. <clears throat> All right. So, so the wise men come to Herod. And then Herod says, okay, when you find out where Jesus is, come back and tell me, right? And then they don't. They hide from him because they recognize that he was being a liar. And so right after that, Herod, and this is, this is just, this is how Satan works. This is the, the cyclicalness of demonic activity in Scripture. But Herod does the exact same thing that Pharaoh does with Moses. Exactly the same thing. Um, most things in the Old Testament are, are um, pictures of what's coming later. We, we could name a bunch. I, I always like to bring this one up because people forget about this. Is uh, When we were talking about this in Zechariah, where God said, fly through the, um, um, fly through the um, temple. Uh, in Ezekiel, I mean... Fly through the temple and put my, uh, my mark, God said this to the prophet, put my mark on the foreheads of the people that are serving me, that are, that are uh, disgusted, abhorred by sin, 
and then everybody else is killed. Well, this is why Satan is going to use the mark on their forehead as an indicator because he's following Scripture, right? It's going to look like that, specifically look like that to the Jewish people because that's exactly uh, what happens in their book, right? And so Satan, the false prophet, the false Messiah, which is the Antichrist, um, he's going to put a mark on the forehead of all the people that are following him because they're all the good guys. And he's going to say, look, it's straight out of Ezekiel. This is exactly what God did. I'm God. I'm doing the same thing. Right? Satan, all the stuff in the Old Testament are, are foreshadowings of stuff that is coming up uh, later in Scripture through a lot of things. So Pharaoh is killing all of the uh, two years and under. And uh, Herod, Herod does the same thing. He kills all the two years and under. And so that's why Jesus uh, and his family run. Well, Jesus doesn't because he's fairly young. But um, Jesus' parents flee to Egypt. And so then later when Jesus, when Herod dies, Jesus comes out of Egypt. Right? This is where, this is where that prophecy is fulfilled. The same way with Bethlehem. He's born in Bethlehem. But he comes out of, of uh, Egypt. Um, and also, what people group is he going to be considered part of? What is one of his terms? Jesus of Nazareth. He fulfills that also. And the, the, here's part of the thing. This is just kind of the how I see this. Um, God likes to throw a bunch of little wrenches in there because it makes it more absolutely understood that God's the one who did this stuff. When there's no possible way that it could happen. Now, if, the, if Scripture would have just said, the Messiah is going to be born in Jerusalem. That's pretty easy. We could argue that. That's like a Nostradamus uh, prophecy. They kind of vaguely resemble. It's weird to me because I've watched a bunch of stuff about uh, Nostradamus and his prophecies and all that stuff. And how all of these people claim that all of his prophecies are so big and so amazing and so supernatural. And they don't even come close to a casual sniff test compared to Scripture, which is amazingly accurate all through the stuff. Okay, Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. That's not that easy to get accomplished. Joseph and Mary didn't live in Bethlehem. Now, it's not that far. I used to, before I went to Israel, I thought Bethlehem was like this journey, this huge journey um, but it's just a couple miles. <laughs> it's not that far. Just a few miles. Um, uh, basically, Beth okay, so where is Bethlehem today? Uh, uh, west, well, yes, Gaza. It's actually in the Gaza. You have to cross over into, to, you have to cross the fences into Gaza. <clears throat> yes, yes. They are, they are different. Yes, you're correct. Um, I, I went there. <laughs> so uh, here's the thing is you have to... Okay, so here's the thing is where the West Bank comes down into Gaza, there is a fenced area. To go into Bethlehem, you've got to go into the fenced area into Gaza. Okay? That whole area is considered West Bank, going ab above that. But you have to go into the fenced area to go into area where it's considered to be Bethlehem, all right? And so here's the interesting thing is we were on a tour bus, and we go, we get, 
we, we come up to the, all the fence line where uh, the Israelites left, what was that, probably um, 10 years ago, not quite. Uh, all the, the Jewish people left, and there's only what we call um, Palestinians there now. But it's a big old fence, and it's got gates on stuff, and then we come up on the bus, and our Jewish guide had to get off the bus, and they put on uh, an Arab guide, and then come to find out he's actually a Coptic Christian um, as we go into there. But we drive the bus into the don't go here if you're Jewish zone uh, to see um, where Jesus was born. And um, it's obviously Bethlehem, but here's the thing with it. It is, these are the things I did not like about Israel is we actually climb down in a tunnel underneath a church. It's a, um, it's a, uh, it's a Coptic Christian church. And you, they're having service, and we go down in a tunnel underneath this church, uh, like two stories down, and there's a little hole dug out there, and that's where Jesus was born. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It's, it's, there's, has anybody ever been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's stupid. And you go and you go down in there, and it's just a little hole. And they're like, oh, we're pretty sure this is where Jesus was born. The exact location. How do you know the exact location where Jesus was born? Oh, well, because tradition. But think about this. This is one of the things that always gets me about all these locations is at the time, Jesus was not special. Are you following me? A baby is born in a manger, which is really just the animal part of the house. A manger was usually built onto the house. In fact, oftentimes in Jewish culture, the manger was the bottom floor and the people were the second floor. Why? Because it heated the house. The manger is underneath. The people are, are in the floor above and sometimes off to the side, but sometimes directly above the manger. Now, Jesus is born in the manger, heads off to Egypt for a few years. Um, he's there for probably uh, a couple of years, and then he heads off to Egypt. But here's the question for me. Why did somebody red tape that area off and say, oh, this is where Jesus was born? They didn't. Because he wasn't special. He was just a Jewish kid. Wasn't special. Goes to Egypt, comes back, still not special. Goes to the, when he's 12-ish, goes and meets with the, uh, the religious leaders. And some of them are like, who is this guy? And I'm sure some of them remembered him later. But still not special. So why, why would that be a big deal where he was born? Nobody, nobody would have paid attention to that. Nobody would have remembered that. So those kind of things drive me crazy. So you literally have to go into occupied territory if you're going to. That's the, that's the term nowadays, occupied territory, if you're going to see where Jesus was born. I also went to um, tomb, the tomb where Jesus was buried, all three of them. My favorite one, I really did have one that I really liked the most, and it's kind of the most popular common one. And, um, and I really enjoyed it. We took communion there. It was very serene, very beautiful. You got to see a real tomb. It was a legitimate tomb, whatever it looked on. 
at the time of Jesus. But, I, but then I had to explain to, to my wife, um, according to Scripture, there's no possible way this could be it. Just it can't be. But I liked it the most. And I just enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. Because it kind of would have looked like that, right? That stuff just drives me crazy. All right, so now... <laughs> Let me go back. To Why are you bringing that up? <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people that believe the Sherado turn. Are, uh, is a real, it's legitimate. <laughs> there are so many reasons why it can't be. But people, if people want to believe that, they believe it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, now again, this is not, this is kind of what um, Kara was saying. If you read the story above and you read the story below, this is a this is something mentioned that is prophetic, that is that is not in the context of the story. But God does these things, throws something out there in the middle of this because He's talking about something else, and this is a good explanation of the transcendency of God. But when you read the story, you really have to pause to say, okay, did He just throw something out about Jesus here? Okay. Um, uh, verse 14, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. Now, um, this is one of the ones that got a lot of uh, kind of uh, media back in the um, 70s and 80s. The, uh, different translations were coming out. There wasn't a lot of translations before that, but some translations were starting to get some some um, uh, headway, and, and I don't remember right now which translation, but, but uh, it wasn't NIV. But there, one of the translations that came out said, going, going to Luke, when Mary says, when, it's, when it says that Mary was a virgin and Jesus, uh, that she was born, that Jesus was born, but she was a virgin. They go to this scripture because it says, um, the virgin will conceive a child. Th this scripture literally can be translated as a young lady. It literally can. And that's where the controversy came in is because then they took that and they put it into the New Testament um, and said that that meant G Mary wasn't a virgin. She was just a young lady. That is an incorrect approach to that part. And so what happens is, is when you get a scripture in the New Testament that defines uh, something from the Old Testament, clarifies and defines it, what you do is you go backwards and you make sure that that is the way that that scripture is supposed to be defined in the Old Testament. When Jesus quotes something in the Old Testament, that's the way it's supposed to be used. That's the way it, that's the context, okay? You say, yeah, but the Old Testament... Okay, but, but Jesus established this. And who wrote the Old Testament? Jesus. 
He's the author of the Old Testament. He's the author of the New Testament. And when the New Testament quotes something, that lets us know this is the correct way to look at that scripture in the Old Testament. Like when Peter quotes uh, Joel, we should understand this is what he's saying. This is what Joel meant when he wrote this, because Peter tells us what that is. Okay, So yes, it could mean a young lady here in uh, Isaiah. The, The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Okay, so then when you go to, um, uh, let's see, Luke, when you go to Luke, now we know, because in Luke, he explains to us that uh, this is, this is the, the supernatural part of this, okay? Well, let's go to Matthew, that'll be the better one for Mary talking, Matthew 2. All right. So then, uh, Matthew 1. All this occurred to, uh, verse 22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. In verse 23 here in Matthew chapter 1, the word is undeniably virgin. In Luke 7, I mean in Isaiah 7, it could be translated as young lady, not virgin, although virgin is a correct approach to it too. But now that Matthew quotes that scripture and is specifically using the term virgin, not young lady, that lets us know what Isaiah, what he's quoting, that lets us know what Isaiah was saying. Does everybody understand what I'm saying there? Okay. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And he's quoting directly out of Isaiah 7. Okay? But then that's also where um, Mary says, uh, how can I have a child if I'm a virgin? And, I, and I've seen people say, well, she didn't mean like virgin, but if you say, how can I have a child if I'm a young lady? Young ladies do have children. Yes. That this is, to somehow use that doesn't make sense, right? Well, how can I have a child if I'm just a, a wee little lass? That's so stupid. So, So, um, so Luke chapter two. Well, I, I, my, I, let me read the part where Mary says that. All right, um, the t- uh, chapter Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a, uh, a village in Galilee. That's where Jesus, 
That's his hometown. Wasn't born there, but it's his hometown. To a virgin named Mary. That word virgin is not young lady. It's virgin. Okay? She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. Be careful when an angel starts like that. Right? Because he's got more coming. Right? The Lord is with you. Life is going well for you, isn't it? <laughs> this is the part that gets me. Is It's not that Mary had the immaculate conception. It's that she is a pregnant woman in a context where she's trying to explain to everybody that she did not have sex to get pregnant. Do you understand the magnitude of that? It's a good thing the angel went to Joseph too, right? I mean, that, that sure helps. But you still, I mean, didn't, don't you think Joseph at least a few times thought, I do remember an angel talking to me, right? I do remember that. Mary, an angel talked to you, right? I mean, we're still on the same page with this? Yeah. Because um, there's no way that Mary was the first girl to use this. I've not had sex. God gave me this baby. Okay. <clears throat> Good news. But now since you... Uh, no, that's... That's with Zechariah. Yeah. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. What do you mean favored? It means we, we picked you, Mary, for what? No, don't worry about it. We picked you. You're going to love it. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Somewhere in there she was like, what? What did you say? He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of the ancestor David. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Legitimate question, yes. Very legitimate question. But this comes back to what I started with, is that the seed does not come through man. The, the, the woman still carried, but the seed came from the Holy Spirit. This, this is why we took all of that to say, this is why the virgin birth is so important. Because without the virgin birth, you don't have God. And so therefore, him dying on the cross, he's just a Jewish guy. This was, this was always my argument with um, <clears throat> the uh, Dan Brown book about the Da Vinci Code. So the premise of the Da Vinci Code is that Jesus, did not, Jesus was not God. He did not die and was not resurrected. But he married Mary Magdalene, and they had children. And so now, 2,000 years later, we're looking for those children, that bloodline, because they are very important because they came from Jesus. What's the problem with that story? If Jesus was not God, and he didn't die on the cross, and he wasn't resurrected, who cares who his kids are? Right? There was a bunch of Jewish guys that didn't die on the cross. wasn't God. They didn't marry Mary, but they may have married a Mary. 
But so what? The whole concept of that, that was uh, Tom Hanks was the movie and all that. The whole concept of that is flawed from the very beginning. It was a very popular book, and I read the book, too, and I really liked the book. Dan Brown's a great writer. But the whole premise is flawed. If Jesus is not God, it, nothing else matters. It does not matter if he dies on the cross. It doesn't matter if he didn't die on the cross. It doesn't matter if he got married uh, to anybody or, or didn't get married. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he had children. It doesn't matter. There's, plus, here's another thing. If, if, he is, if he was not from virgin birth, it doesn't, he could have died on the cross. It still doesn't matter. There were two other guys beside him on the cross. We didn't trace their bloodlines. Right? Does it matter? No. The thing that establishes it is that Jesus was born of a virgin. And that's legitimate. That's a truth. That's not just um, a fable, allegory, or whatever. This is where I still kind of um, not, I don't get frustrated. I just, I'm waiting for him to come around. Jordan Peterson has come so far in the last five, six, seven years. He has come so far, but he still thinks most of the stuff in the Bible, specifically New Testament, is allegory. It's not allegory. These are real things. There really wasn't a lady named Mary. She really was from Nazareth, went to Bethlehem, had Jesus, went to Egypt, came back. Jesus grew up, died on the cross. That is, those are real people, real circumstances, real things. Because without that, we don't have salvation. 